We were together at a basketball game. He was asking some questions about the book and the topic. He knew I was working on it. And he made the suggestion, Dad, I think I should help you write that book because isn't our relationship and our ability to talk to each other, even though we come from very different backgrounds, isn't that one of your main points? And the answer is absolutely yes. So we started talking and dialoguing and it turned into a professional project together. Hey, I'm Michael, AKA Milan Jones, talking here with Dave Drum, who is a professional unity evangelist, author and founder of J17 Ministries. We are getting into his book, Peace Talks, The Good News of Jesus in a Donkey Elephant War. This book gives us time-tested solutions for the issues we are facing today and what we need to do as believers in order to have true peace and unity in this nation. Joining us today is Dave Drum's son, Mike Drum, who authored chapter two of this book, Peace Talk, which is entitled, How We Got Here. Mike has a different spiritual, educational, and political view than his father, yet they have common ground on the issues of peaceful dialogue and taking the conversation of people who disagree with them into a direction that's productive and constructive. Romans 12.15 tells us that we should do all we can to live in peace with everyone. 2 Timothy 24 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. So as a believer, it is part of our faith to dialogue with unbelievers in a way that brings glory to God and helps bring light to dark situations. With that said, let's hear what they have to say on chapter two of this book, Peace Talks. All right. So, Mike, what's your religious belief, educational background and experience and how is it different than your father's? Right. So um, I, I grew up in my father's household. So uh, my dad is, of course, a, a pastor of a, of a Lutheran church or, or was um, as I was growing up. And so I grew up in the Christian household, um, but eventually um, pulled out just uh, and and so I, I identify more as an agnostic now. Um, just, yeah, I, I don't, you know, attend church and I don't have any strong spiritual beliefs. But, uh, and of course that is quite different from my father, but we've, I think found a language that can, um, that we can communicate with and we're, we're doing, you know, <laughs> okay. As you can imagine that might cause issues in some groups, but we're doing okay with it. Yep. Uh, and then my educational background is in computer science, um, which, and, and I'm a programmer. Now I work for the NASA planetary data system. And so the, my dad actually has an engineering background, so it's not completely dissimilar mm -hmm. from his original <laughs> education, but of course, you know, his past led him in a very different direction as well. <laughs> but as has mine, you know, the, the computer science thing has not, you know, has not uh, affected my, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily responsible for my interest in the topic of the book as well. You know, that was kind of just being a, a an interested citizen. And I, obviously I have experience in the tech background um, and that informed a lot of my understanding of, you know, the way of things as they are now, but, but yeah. Wow. Cool. So in chapter two, on page 41, you talk about echo chambers versus idea labs. 
may you elaborate on the advantages um, of an idea lab versus that of an e echo chamber? Sure. So the idea of an echo chamber, of course, I think is something everyone's experienced to a degree. Um, it's kind of just that state that you live in online where you surround yourself with people that you agree with. You know, this is, this is just something everybody does. Um, you know, if you're on Facebook or Twitter, you, you, you see, you know, your family and friends might all kind of be of the same um, political ideology, um, spiritual ideology. It doesn't even have to apply to anything like that, but it's essentially a place where you're exposed to very similar people and ideas all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it's called an echo chamber because of course, yeah, you're just hearing things echoed back at you that you agree with. And that's contrasted with the idea of, of an idea lab where um, that's where you want to foster new ideas, like any, any contradictory opinion or outlook on the world is, is encouraged and, and you want to especially separate it from the person. So you want to be able to um, view an opinion on its own merits. And, um, and I believe that's really, yeah, I mean, that, that's what we should all be striving for, but, but our natural inclinations of course are to be in more of an echo chamber because it's much less uncomfortable, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Now, I want to know the story, too, of how you, Dave, even uh, came and asked your son, hey, do you want to write chapter two? Uh, where did that idea come from? Well, actually, it was my son's idea. We were together at a basketball game. He was asking some questions about the book and the topic. He knew I was working on it. And he made the suggestion, Dad, I think I should help you write that book because isn't our relationship and our ability to talk to each other, even though we come from very different backgrounds, isn't that one of your main points? And the answer is absolutely yes. So we started talking and dialoguing and it turned into a professional project together. Wow. And that is just like an awesome real life example of like an, an idea chamber, uh, not idea chamber, but idea lab instead of just being an echo chamber, you know, oh, that's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, my question three was, uh, in what ways can we create environments that encourage idea labs rather than echo chambers? And this goes to both of you. Um, well, I think my dad's probably even had a better experience at this. Um, at just, I've seen his um, his changing perspectives over over the last, you know, few years, and 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 I've, as we've talked about these topics, you know, at various family discussions over the past few years, I've also, you know, it, it's clear that he's valuing the idea of, of, yeah, seeing multiple perspectives and, and getting out there with as diverse a community as possible. And I think that's the most important thing you can do is meet new people, you know, just um, the more, the more you're out there, the more, you know, congregations you attend, the more 
um, places you go on the internet because <laughs> those are all connected. The, you're just going to be exposed to more ideas. And if you also just remember that everybody is a, is a good person in the, in, on the inside that's not trying to fight you at every word, then that's, that's how I've been uh, encouraged to, into more of an idea lab thing. But it is a hard, it's a hard thing to do because like I said, the default really is to just try and, you know, find people you agree with. Mm -hmm. And it's also interesting. Yeah, I, Go ahead. I agree. Let me jump in. Um, I think honestly, what has helped me the most has been some of the cross-cultural relationships because with the different cross cultures and ethnic backgrounds comes vastly different world experience and typically different political views as well. And so as I have spent time with African-American pastors and congregations and Hispanic pastors and congregations, that has helped me see some of my own blind spots and grow immensely over the last 10 years. And I'm happy to hear that Michael noticed some of that. <laughs> what inspired you, uh, Dave, even to go in that direction? Well, I guess the simple answer is it was my job. <laughs> um, when I took a job with Fort Tucson, my job was to see greater unity build between churches all throughout our city. And so I made a conscious effort to get to know parts of the church that I didn't know. Um, but it was also a passion because I've always believed that we have more in common than that divides us. And we're much richer when we're all together. So the belief was there, but I was able to put it into practice when it was my full-time job. Understood. Understood. That's good. That's so good. Um, question four I had, how do you think, identity in Christ can help people pull away from an identity and a political idea and focus on the legitimacy of a policy. Well, that's probably a question for me. <laughs> Go for it, Dad. Mike nodding. <laughs> um, one of my favorite comments that I make every time I'm talking about this topic is that it takes something bigger than the gap to bridge the gap. And I believe Jesus is bigger than the political gap. And so we'll talk about that in later podcasts and chapters because I go into that in a great deal of detail. But I've experienced that personally. There's a group of African-American pastors and Anglo pastors that have been meeting together monthly for eight years now. And early on, we decided that we were not the party of the elephant or the party of the donkey. We were ultimately the party of the lamb to <laughs> use that biblical imagery. Mm -hmm. And we found that our, our common identity in Christ 
enabled us to talk about our different beliefs politically from a platform that was bigger than the differences. And we all grew as a result of that. And it's been phenomenal. Awesome. And I, I came with that question because, uh, Mike, you had wrote um, that people get disrespected or they feel disrespected because they become an idea. And instead of just like letting the idea stand on its own and just being like, OK, that's not my identity. That's just it's just an idea out there and it's it can be trampled. It can be talked about. It could be whatever. Um, so. Um, but I'm still interested in what you would have to say about this as well. I mean, just from your perspective, what do you think, um, you know, identity wise and, you know, how does it, how does a person pull away from, you know, being an idea and letting people just say, hey, this is just an idea, you know, I'm just putting it out there, you know, and I'm not that idea. Sure. Well, I think, you know, recognizing that, yeah, for yourself, you don't want to, yeah, you, you don't necessarily want to be identified by a certain ideology. And you recognize that you yourself are a much more complex person than that, right? But I, I think we all tend to simplify the experiences of others. And, 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 you know, we just we categorize people, you know, you're this, you know, this race or this uh, background. And so therefore, you must think this thing. And so I think, recognizing that everybody is, is, is super complex is, is a, in your, you yourself are very complex. And so everybody else is actually as well. And, and recognizing that will really help you to, um, yeah, just not fall into the trap of, of, of linking an idea with a person. And I think that's where we all really need to, to get because an idea we should also be encouraging the idea that ideas can change, mm -hmm. right? You, we, we should be, if we encourage a, a place where we, we, we reward people for growing or, um, you know, basically, uh, like I, I remember back in the John Kerry election that one of the big criticisms about him was, uh, that he was a flip flopper, right? And that was, that was, you know, such an insult I remember hearing, but, but I mm -hmm. think that's also just showing evidence of change and right. And so people can change their views over time. That's also proof that people are not their ideas. Hmm. All right. Appreciate that. Uh, question five, we talked because this is a little bit about technology. How do you think technology can help bridge the gap? instead of cause a greater divide? Um, I guess I'll jump in. Um, <laughs> technology is, it, it kind of just is what it is, right? We, we you can use it for uh, however it's, you know, the, sorry, the, it's an amoral force is the, is the term I used in the book. Right. And, mm -hmm. and so I think a lot of what happens is that we, it, it, it brings out our worst instincts more often than it brings out our best instincts, but technology is incredible from my perspective. My dad would probably disagree. And the, <laughs> uh, 
and, and but it can be used to foster such constant um, communication and connection with other people that I think the more the more you recognize another person is a full being, basically, I, I think you know the less text-based um, communication that we do, and the more video, for example, that that's it's it's much easier to pick up on you know little subtle cues about a person and recognize that they're not just a couple pictures on Facebook; they mm -hmm. are um, a full you know emotional human being with lives and loves and all these and dreams, right? Mm -hmm. And and technology can allow that. And I think that the, the social media of the time hasn't, hasn't advocated for that as much. But I think even things like a podcast, I love podcasts because podcasts are an incredible way of hearing long form ideas, mm -hmm. right? That's where you can get into the nuances of discussion. You can really expand out an idea more than just, you know, a headline yeah. or, um, a slogan, right? That's it's, you can get really deep into, you know, a, the trade-offs in almost any idea. Mm -hmm. uh, so a podcast, just, just more, more bandwidth is, is I guess the, the technical term <laughs> that of, of just communication. Um, I think technology can really be used in good ways like that. Hey, yeah, I agree. I always say communi good communication builds good communities. You know, if you don't have good communication, you know, you're not going to have a good community. And uh, um, Dave, what about you? Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, when Michael made the comment about me probably disagreeing, it's because I probably call him once a day with some technology problem. <laughs> and he's my resident expert to help me figure out what went wrong and how to fix it. But this very podcast that we're doing right now is an example of something that technology has made possible because with the COVID-19 restrictions, it would be very hard for me to be in the physical same space with the three of us right now. Mm -hmm. but we can use technology and still have a legitimate conversation. And like Mike was commenting, um, we can see each other, see the visual cues, as well as hear everything that's going on. And we're building community, even though we're coming from three different houses, let alone three different backgrounds. Yeah. And I want to, uh, ask Mike this question too, so people who are listening can understand um, what ag what an agnostic is. May you just explain that a little bit more, and and why you came to that um, point of view? Sure. Um, so agnostic agnosticism, I guess, is the idea that um, you know I don't know for sure. That's that's it boiled down. Um, and and because i you know i i don't see any you know there's there's still a lot of fundamentally unanswered questions by science right and so it's it's i i think atheism which is 
probably the more extreme version. I, I don't I don't know that even most atheists are really atheists if they really got down into it because they because atheism truly is is faith in another idea. It's faith in the idea that there is nothing. Mm-hmm. But that's also something that has no evidence. So I agnosticism is is truly just understanding what you don't understand. And so, yeah, for me, it's that I don't believe uh, in any of the traditional religions. I, I believe that it, it's very, uh, yeah, I, I haven't had a personal spiritual experience that would draw me to any one of them. But the idea that I also know that there's nothing for sure doesn't make any more sense to me than religion does. Got you. And so... Um writing this book, Dave, and, you know, having a personal experience, you know, uh, when your son was like, hey, you know, I really don't believe all that you believe. Um, What was your initial response? And then how did that um, change for you to where now, you know, you're having conversations and you're talking and, or did it change? Well, as far as the book goes, in that initial conversation, I remember one of the comments that I made to my son was, you do understand that the working title of this book is The Good News of Jesus in a Donkey-Elephant War. (laughs) Are you comfortable being a part of that writing project? And he said that he was, and so great. So there was never really any um, doubt or concern on my part. I knew that he would have a lot to bring to the table in terms of the conversation. I knew with the technology aspects that he had done a lot of reading on, and, and it's his professional area anyway, that he would be much better uh, equipped and have a much better background to speak to those um, topics than I would. So I was grateful for what he brought to the table. But I think one of the most fun parts of the project for me was that Mike didn't just write his chapter. Mm-hmm. I asked him to read the whole book before I published it. He was one of my editors. And so he gave really excellent feedback all along the way mm-hmm. and I think helped w- us come out with a much better finished product than what we would have had otherwise. So I was really interested and hopeful that this book would, uh, even though it has the title, The Good News of Jesus in a Donkey-Elephant War, mm-hmm. that there would be maybe some other agnostics that would uh, be interested in the topic and find it to be a worthwhile read. So um, I'm very grateful for Michael's contributions to the whole book, mm-hmm. not just his chapter. Awesome. Yeah, I really like that part where you were talking about um, there's zealots, there's uh, scientists, there, then there's people that are just like, uh, you know, um, they just sports kinda, fans. Sports fans, yeah. yeah. So it's like, are we really searching for truth? And if, you know, that comfortable being on that ladder, 
you know, whether we're going up or down on that, you know, some things where we, we just want to be zealots because it makes us comfortable, you know, um, and other things, you know, we're, we want to be more uh, like, is this really the truth? Is it, are, are these the facts, you know, regardless, you know, um, but is there anything else uh, that you would like to end say after we end? Because we're at the end of uh, all the questions. Um, is there anything else that you would like to say or anything else that you want to offer or think that's important? Um, I mean, I think the, the reason we wrote the book when we did, of course, is to, is because we, we recognize there's an election going on and these are pretty unprecedented times, um, in regards to, yeah, partisanship and division. And obviously, you know, we, we wrote the book several months before even COVID-19 and the, the more recent, um, you know, uh, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter movement and all, all the senseless killings that have been going on. And so and it, it, what we wrote was was a little bit more timeless, but I think they, they really apply right now. And, and I, mm-hmm. I wrote my section of the book in part because I really hope that people can use it to really be introspective about how they think about things. And so, you know, even if the, the, you know, I, you know, I think an agnostic, for example, could get a lot out of just, you know, reading at least this chapter and, and thinking about the ways in which everything is really fighting against us right now, Mm -hmm. you know, our own inner workings, foreign adversaries, just technology. There's, there's so many reasons that we are, we can be divided right now, but if you recognize those things, it's much easier to kind of like get out of the water, you know, Mm -hmm. wake up from the dream, so to speak, and really reflect on what you're thinking and what you're consuming in the world. And hopefully we can become a more united nation um, if we all are able to do that. That's good. Understanding really brings, bridges that gap and having a framework too to kind of like push all this information through helps us organize exactly. stuff. That's good. Dave, what about you? Well, one of the conversations that Mike and I have had, in fact, our whole family has been having over recent months is just concern about how divided as a nation we are and some of the rhetoric that we're hearing recently from both sides saying that if they lose the presidential election, they may not accept the legitimacy of the outcome. That's frightening. Um, That would plunge us into civil war, if not anarchy. And so I'm even more passionate about the things that we wrote now than I was when we wrote them. So um, it's my hope that many people will take it seriously and decide that um, we've got to find a, a better self than the one that says my way or the highway. Uh, that's not going to do well for the nation. And uh, I think the stakes are high. So I'm eager to get the word out as far and as broadly as possible. 
It's good. It's good. Well, with with that said, um, uh, did you have something else, uh, Mike? Okay, I thought I, f- I felt something there. <laughs> All right. So, um, with that said, uh, uh, would you close us in prayer, Dave, and just uh, that we just remain and uh, just remember some of these, these things and be transformed as a nation too uh, to implement some of the things that are in, in the book, you know? And uh, would you lead us in prayer? Um, Father, I thank you that every one of us, as it says in, I think it's Psalm 139, is fearfully and wonderfully made. And there aren't any exceptions to that. I think that's true for every living person, and I thank you for that. I pray, God, that you would give us all a greater humility, a greater hunger to learn, uh, a passion to be bridge builders and peacemakers. And I thank you for my son's contribution to this project and the privilege that you gave us of working together. I pray for many more of those opportunities. And I thank you too for Michael and his leadership with this podcast and pray your blessing over him and his ministries as well. So thank you that we've had this time together and We uh, ask your blessing on it for all who will hear. In Jesus' name. That was Dave Drum, professional unity evangelist and author, co-founder of J17 Ministries, along with his son, Mike Drum, who has a background in computer science and technology and wrote chapter two of the book, Peace Talk, The Good News of Jesus in a Donkey Elephant War. They have two different perspectives, spiritually, educationally, and politically, but they find common ground on peaceful dialogue and connecting and productive conversation. You can get this book on j17ministries.org or Amazon by searching Peace Talks, The Good News of Jesus in a Donkey Elephant War. Thanks for joining Peace Talks. This was a production of Mike Solo Studios presented by The Jesus Party. To financially support The Jesus Party podcast, go to jesusparty.net slash donate or mikesolo.com slash support. Thank you for listening. And a special thanks to our studio supporters. Monthly support from Adam Takeda, Aaron and Paola Scott, Eddie and Mina Jones, Jody and Dan Mayhew, Shannon and Joe Lewis, Sophia Williams, Troy Olson, and one-time gifts from David Kamara, Jesse Miller, Nehemiah Tracy, Charles Mays, Katie Randall, Lawrence Webb, and I gotta say Jesse Miller again. God bless you, you gave twice. We are biblical, not political. Peace.